Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Untold Civil War podcast. This month's episode will be the first portion of a three-part project I have been working on with the Sons of Union Veterans of the Civil War, a fraternity dedicated to preserving the legacy of those who fought to save the Union. Organized in 1881, they are the successors to the Grand Army of the Republic, a veteran organization formed after the war. And this series of interviews will give you a better understanding of the origin of the organization and the activities the SUVCW organizes in order to ensure that our veterans are not forgotten. Many of the brothers in this organization have ancestral ties to the Civil War, and so we will also be learning those individual backstories. I hope you enjoy. Today on the Untold Civil War podcast, we have a real treat. This will be the first interview of three, where we will be getting an inside look at the Sons of Union Veterans of the Civil War. For this initial portion, I'll be interviewing Benjamin Frail, National Patriotic Instructor of the organization, and he'll be sharing with us the story of his personal ancestors who served in the war, and then also give us some insight into the Grand Army of the Republic, the veteran organization, which was the predecessor to the SUVCW. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, like I said, I'm I'm really glad we could finally do this, and I guess we'll just we'll just kick it off with um, which one of uh, which of your ancestors served in the Civil War. So I have I I'm lucky enough to have um, three ancestors that served in the Civil War. One on my father's side, and two on my mother's side. Um, the the first one on my father's side was uh, Hugh Frail Sr., and he served in the 67th Pennsylvania. He was, uh, I would say we probably got our, our frail stubbornness from him because at the battle of the second battle of Winchester, he was actually captured um, when the, the wing he was part of, the major commanding it, surrendered the whole wing. And he was sent to Belle Isle for until he was paroled, rejoined the unit, uh, was present at the Battle of the Wilderness where he injured his eye. We believe it was from uh, either his rifle breaching or a rifle breach next to uh, uh, one of his his pards next to him. The rifle breached. Oh, wow. Uh, They called it eye soreness back then and uh he was again captured and sent to andersonville he just loved those confederate summer camps so oh man uh so with i i like to joke and say because you know it's a horrible situation try to try to make light of it best you can uh that you know he, he he was very stubborn he believed in the cause that he was fighting for greatly enough to after being paroled rejoin his rejoin his regiment and uh you know continue to fight he, excuse me, he spent the rest of his war in, in Confederate prison camps between two, Andersonville and another one down in Georgia, was eventually uh, rescued, went to a army hospital in West Philadelphia, uh, where he, if, if memory serves, he, he actually met his 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 wife, his second wife, uh, the, the, the frail family has a very 
I don't want to say nice. Nice is the wrong word, but has a very interesting story behind his the the what happened between him and his first wife. And uh, we we initially thought that we didn't have on the frail side a, an ancestor that served because looking back, we saw that Hugh Frail Jr., his son, was the first to come over to the United States. However, we found out that after his divorce from his first wife who was uh, a secretary and was actually cheating on him with her boss, he came to the United States, but he didn't bring any of his children. He didn't bring, obviously he didn't bring his wife. They, they had split and he enlisted in the army to, to uh, preserve his adopted home. And then we find out that when his son, Hugh Jr. came over, he he came over in the in the 18 1870s they had little contact that i'm aware of and then hugh jr stayed in in uh, the new england area he didn't actually move out to the the, the pennsylvania area like like his father did and uh, he hugh senior is actually buried out in in pennsylvania and this is all information that I want to say over the past 10 years, we've, we've, you know, between my, my father mostly um, has done a lot of digging and, and has found this out. And it's, it's very interesting to see that, that side of, of your family to know that, Hey, we look back on these guys in for lack of a better term, putting them on a pedestal, but to see that they were going through the same struggles that, you know, we go, right. go through today. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's a nice little, uh, it, it's a nice little reminder that it doesn't matter if it's, you know, 2020 or, or 1860, people have, people have personal stuff that's going on that can affect them. Absolutely. Um, so to, to just get it straight. So uh, your family is actually uh, descendant from the first marriage. Correct. Correct. Okay. And where did the, the frails originate from before Ireland. they came here? Ireland. However, Ireland. Okay. If you were to ask my grandfather, he would say England. Oh, so, but that, right. that, that actually goes into the family story. Um, when, when my great, 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 great grandmother and Hugh got divorced, she went on to marry her boss who adopted her children, but didn't make them change their name. So they still stayed frails, but didn't want them to be perceived as Irishmen back in the United Kingdom. So he came, he, he designed a, an English coat of arms that has been passed down to us for generation, gener since that generation. Uh, we, we have, glasses with it i've actually got a tattoo with the coat of arms on me and it's it's really cool to see that they were they were irish but they were actually trying their their adoptive father was trying to hide that so that they would have a a higher social standing and it's it's really you know that's another very interesting story of of hugh and of uh the frail side of my family that is that is pretty interesting. Um, what is I mean, we don't have any images, but what does the coat of arms look like? Just out of curiosity. So it is it has a, a knight's helmet on the top. It has 
our last name frail underneath of it it's got three rosettes in a shield and then the shield in the middle of it has basket weaving so i can i can send you a photo of it afterwards so you can actually see what it looks like but it's really it's really cool it's really the story behind it's really cool in fact uh when i got the tattoo the tattoo artist that did it he as a hobby for people who get coats of arms researches the the origins behind it and he's like i couldn't find anything on yours i'm like yeah i know you want it and he's like what do you mean by that and i told him the story he's like yeah that's a cooler story than any story i could have found in in any book i'm like yeah that that really is it's a unique story it's one that um even though it had a morally horrible story it's right. something that me generally because it's so unique and 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 what my ancestor stepfather did for them is actually kind of a, a really cool and neat twist and something to be proud of for that that person so absolutely and and i guess this kind of ties in with that so obviously you were left down the uh the crest but um, from senior, did you get any letters or anything from his service in the war? Unfortunately, no. We didn't have any of that until we dug up his uh, compiled military service record and pensions. He uh, he actually didn't know how to write, so you can see on all the forms that he had to fill out to get his pension and and all the other the, his military service record, where it would say Hugh Frail with probably twenty different spe spellings of Frail from f-r-a-i-l how we spell it to f-r-e-i-l f-r-i-e-l-e wow uh, so and then you would see the x and underneath of it his mark and actually to to pay tribute to him in my signet in my actual signature i have an x in in the where where the eye of frail instead of being dotted is actually xed and i've i've had <laughs> Within the Suns, I've had quite a few people be like, what is that X? Why is that there? That doesn't look professional. And I'm just like, that's my story. That's part of my ancestry. That's part of who my family is. And that's one of the ways I pay homage to him. Absolutely. I actually like that. I wish I had something like that for my uh, my signature. <laughs> um, that's actually great um and and that's all what this this organization is sort of about it's about you know paying tribute to our ancestors so that that makes a lot of sense yep so but but, uh, but he's not the only one you, you said you have two more right correct I, so i've got two more on my mother's side who <clears throat> unfortunately we didn't find out about them until my grandfather had passed on <clears throat> excuse me and they are john handy and richard handy Richard Handy served in the the 43rd New York Infantry, excuse me, and as I recently found out as I was reviewing his records for, for this podcast, uh, because I'm very familiar with the frail side of, of the story, because he was the first one that we found, but then when we found the Handy side, I did some more digging, and like I said, for the podcast, did some digging, and he was hospitalized due to illness, and where he was discharged was Portsmouth Grove Naval Ho or Portsmouth Grove Port Portsmouth Grove Hospital in Rhode Island. Now, my grand my my grandpa Handy, his side of the family, 
until except until now, now that I know this, we thought that they didn't step foot out of New York until he left to go to college down at URI where or University of Rhode Island, rather, where he met my grandmother. And then they settled in Rhode Island. And, you know, my mom and her four siblings were born in Rhode Island. So here I am doing this research and I'm like, holy Toledo, my ancestor was discharged from the hospital in Rhode Island. And I thought that the handy side of the family had never stepped foot in Rhode Island until my grandpa. Yeah. That's an eye open. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those small world moments. And back in the 1860s, it was even smaller. You know, through research, you realize, you know, with only so many people on the planet, the world is pretty small. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's, it's eye opening when you come across a connection like that. Um, and, you know, we, we, we see it all the time. It's not the first time in, in me doing research that I've seen connections like that. And I've seen uh, been, or been able to actually, for lack of a better word, touch that small world feeling. Uh, it, it, there was uh, two or three years back, I, was, I had some downtime and uh, I decided to look into my wife's side of the family just to find out that her ancestor served in the third Rhode Island Cavalry, And they thought they, there was no way that they had a civil war veteran. And sure, sure enough, they did. He died during the war and his son was one of the first fire department, uh, fire chiefs of a fire department in Rhode Island that my wife's father served on for 30 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, but but did you know? But you didn't know that prior to. They knew that he was the fire a fire chief prior to, but they didn't know that he that his father was a Civil War veteran because his father passed away when he was two years old. Oh, okay. So they knew about the uh, the fire history, but they didn't know about the Civil War history. Exactly. And I, I guess that goes. Um, you know, a lot of these veterans, from what I understand, and they didn't even talk about it. A lot of them didn't talk about it. So, you know, some of this stuff remains a mystery until you actually do the digging yourself. Correct. And uh, leading in, did any of these ancestors join the uh, the GAR? So ju- just quickly before we, we get sure. into that, I do have one more ancestor that served. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yes, go his, ahead. His name was John Handy, and he served in the 147th New York. And eventually transferred to the first New York sharpshooters. New York had a handful of a, a, comp, a handful of companies that were part of the Andrews sharpshooters. And this oh, was okay. Yep. Wow. Um, and he served, if I remember, in 60, 62, he served up until sixty-four. So, and then he got out, he got out in 64 and we don't know if either of the handies to, to answer the question that you just asked, we don't know if either of the handies served in the GAR. We're still trying to dig that up, but we, we did confirm that Hugh Frail did, was a a comrade in the GAR as they called it back then. Oh, and I guess that's that's a great segue. So, what was for our listeners? What was the GAR? The GAR, or the Grand Army of the Republic, was the largest veterans organization to come out of the Civil War. 
At its height, there were over 400,000 members, but it's believed that over 900,000 Civil War veterans total were in the GAR at one point or another. Uh, so you're talking about a quarter of the of the men that served joined this fraternal organization to uh, to to celebrate and commemorate their their service. Uh, in, in order to serve, you had to have honorably served in the Union Armed Forces, so whether it be Army, Navy, Marine Corps, or Revenue Cutter Service, between April 12th, 1861, and April 9th, 1865. You also had to have never had voluntarily took up arms against the Union at any point in your life. So not just during the Civil War. It was started in 1866, uh, April in, of 1866, in Decanter, Illinois, by Benjamin F. Stevenson. He was the, the first uh, commander-in-chief of the, of the Grand Army of the Republic. <clears throat> he was appointed because, obviously, they didn't have an election when it first started. And then they had elections and <clears throat> that the, the uh, sorry excuse me I'm just trying to I want to make sure I have the right name uh Stephen Augustus Herbert or Hurlbert Hurlbut sorry was the first elected uh commander-in-chief of the of the Grand Army of the Republic what the GAR did was they ensured that first and foremost, the sacrifice that these men who, whether they came home or not, but more specifically that didn't come home, that their sacrifices would not be forgotten. And, and how did they do that exactly? What sort of uh, activities did they do to ensure that? So one of the things that they did was they came up with what's they 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 took care of the families of those men that didn't come home whether it be assisting in filing a pension a widow's pension a dependent's pension whether it be making sure that if they were in need for food or, or things of that nature they would they would be there for them they would put together drives to help provide for them those comrades that were wounded or, or fell on hard times, they actually helped establish what's known as soldiers and sailors homes. Uh, there, many of which are still in existence today, whether it be on the original grounds that those that were created in the 18, 18, late 1860s, 1870s in Rhode Island, it was created in 1870. And the existing soldiers home is on the land that the or sorry the the current soldiers home i should say is on the land that the soldiers and sailors home that was created by the rhode island gar was on back in and it was created back in the 1860s and the land has it was it was donated by a town in rhode island and they said hey let's build this we got to take care of our boys that help preserve the union and that's what many of these posts did they also made sure that they were taken care of when they passed away. A lot of these posts 
actually had cemetery plots where the comrades of the posts or members of Civil War veterans that couldn't afford a burial site would be buried in these posts and it wouldn't or buried in these cemetery plots rather and it wouldn't cost the veteran anything because they wanted to make sure that 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 veteran got a proper burial and we we hear stories today of civil war veterans who they passed away and their remains are forgotten about or they suffered from what we now know as PTSD, but they were considered paupers because of it. And they were put in a state institution and passed away in the state institution and were buried in a pauper cemetery at the state institution. We hear those stories all the time. These men tried to make sure that as many of those boys did not fall into that category. They also did things like In 1868, John Logan, who was at the time the commander-in-chief of the Grand Army of the Republic, issued General Order 11, which is the general order that created Decoration Day as the 30th of May, or what we all know today as Memorial Day. That laid the groundwork for the federal government to, to establish Memorial Day as a federal holiday. It's, it's one of those things that for us as Sons of Union veterans of the Civil War, Memorial Day isn't a day to go to the beach or a day to barbecue. It is our busiest weekend of the year because we are trying to make sure that these boys are not forgotten, much like the Grand Army of the Republic was doing the same. And, it, and it's any person who puts in, in the SUVCW or the GAR that put that badge on it's something that is very near that day is something that is very, very near and dear to our hearts. And it was all because John A. Logan made sure that the GAR was, 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 was doing that, was making sure these boys weren't forgotten. They, 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 there are also times where, excuse me, where you would have it where the GAR although a fraternal organization made sure that there were political uh, uh, bills that were passed, like pension acts, uh, making sure that state legislatures would fund soldiers and sailors' homes, would fund monuments, whether it be at the, the battlefields or in their home states and hometowns, the GAR made sure that these things happened to ensure that these men were, weren't forgotten. Um, there, there's, you, you can, there's been books that have been written about the acts of, of the GAR that we could honestly go on and on and on and on for hours about the individual acts that they did to make sure that these men were not forgotten. And it's, it's, it's truly something that we today in 2020 should look back at and find inspiration from and say, hey, that, this is how these boys did it. This is how we should do it today. We should take, we should follow their lead and, and make sure that our veterans are not forgotten, are taken care of. 
and uh, and and it is something that the members of our organization do take very seriously and take a lot of pride in. Well, absolutely. I mean, you open up any uh, newspaper today, and you're still seeing some of the similar issues today as they were combating back then, um, as far as uh, for helping out veterans. Yeah. And and of course the GRA was uh, GAR, excuse me, was doing this. Uh, where were the, all the posts? They were doing this only in the Union side, all over the United States. Where exactly were they operating? They were in the United States, Union only. They, okay. There were some in the territories. Uh, so, in, for instance, you'll find that in Arizona – there were there were posts in Arizona, but it was a territory during the war. The majority were. I'm actually pulling up a list right now. So, for instance, you have a state like Pennsylvania that had over 600 posts. You have a state like Iowa that had over 500 posts, because even though Iowa during the war. They, they didn't send as many men as Pennsylvania. Well, what happened after the war? There was expansion west. So you had a lot of Civil War veterans that were right. picking up their roots and moving west. So you had the places like Iowa, Nebraska, California, that they might not have sent a lot of numbers, uh, a lot of numbers troops wise, but a lot of veterans settled there. So if there was a, if there was a, good amount of union veterans there there's a good bet that there was a gar post somewhere in that in that state or territory do we actually have a specific number of how many posts there were there must have been so many uh break it down by state. we we can break it down by state however a total we we haven't compiled a total list of how many there were nationally but it was in the thousands Wow. I mean, I mean, like that's uh, it makes sense because how many people were serving in, you know, the biggest land army of uh, up until that point in the United States. Right. So yeah. it makes sense that there would be so many posts. Yep. Yeah. There were. I mean, you had a few million men that served of which 900,000 over 900,000 joined the GAR. So, I mean, you do the math and it's it's only going to add up to a lot of posts. Thousands of posts in this case. Right. Right. Uh, and, and this is I, I know this is a little uh, off topic, but, you know, we deal with all things untold here on the Untold Civil War podcast. And so I was curious because I have seen a picture of Civil War veterans in London. Yep. So I was curious if there was any uh, if there were any GAR posts or members of the GAR in London or in Britain or in other countries. There were there were veterans all around the world. Uh, there were no international posts. Okay. However, there were veterans in the, like Australia. There were veterans there. There were veterans in in Britain. Believe it or not, the the SUVCW has a camp in Britain now because we have brothers over there that realize that there are so many Civil War veterans that are that are buried in in the United oh, Kingdom. Cool. That there, there are over 800 Union veterans buried in the United Kingdom. 
some of them don't have gravestones. So, and I know you're going to cover this in a, in a later podcast, but you, there's, if you go on our, the, the national SUVCW Instagram account, you can actually see a story where that camp in, in London got a, a VA headstone shipped to London from the United States. It was sent to the U S embassy in, in London and they provided a headstone for that veteran with full military honors where the U.S. Embassy in London provided military support. And it, it's just an absolutely amazing thing to look at, to see that story that, hey, they're over there in London, they're over there internationally, but we're still going to take care of them. We're still going to make sure that they're not forgotten and their sacrifice is not forgotten. Absolutely. And I think I'll just add to that story with the Veterans being uh, veterans of the Civil War being all over um, all over the globe by the end of uh, the conflict. Um, the one picture I was referring to, which I think is pretty cool, and uh, I'm definitely going to post it up for any of our listeners. Um, but it's actually the London branch of U.S. Civil War veterans. And uh, what's interesting about it is they actually a few of the survivors who belong to this branch, I believe, uh, they greeted some of the soldiers who were coming into London during um, World War One, actually. And uh, what's interesting about this picture, which is very odd, is that if you look in this picture, there's actually a man with a beard and a turban. He looks like a, he could be Sikh. Um, I know there's no records of that I know of, of any Sikh serving in the American Civil War, but yet there he is with these other veterans of the Civil War, I don't know if he was a member. I don't know if he his name got lost in time. Uh, but I guess that's something interesting to look at. Maybe one of my listeners has uh, more information on that. Yeah, that's that's a uh, you know it's a new one on me. I haven't I haven't heard of anything regarding a seat that served. So that that would be a really cool follow up to hear. I think both of us are interested to see how that one pans out. Oh, absolutely. And I'll definitely, I don't know if you've seen the picture, but I'll definitely send that one to you because it is pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to see it. So one of the one of the other things I did want to point out about the GAR was sure. that sure. Uh, you look out, you look through American history and the time period right after the American Civil War, you see five, I believe the number is five, U.S. presidents that were Civil War veterans. All five of those had the backing from the GAR. There wasn't a Republican nominee during the, the heyday of the GAR. There wasn't a Republican nominee for president that did not have the support of the GAR. So just to put into, into mindset the, the pull that the GAR had politically during this time period is absolutely flabbergasting in my mind. Uh, to 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 say, hey, Grant, President, uh, uh, at this time, Ge General Grant, we're going to back you for the Republican nom, and hopefully you make president. He makes president. And then to see a story in the Department of Rhode Island's GAR semi-annual encampment that they had a fundraiser. It was a clam bake. They invited President Grant, and he showed up. Oh, wow. Like it, to, to see things like that, where there was a Memorial Day ceremony in New York and President Taft showed up. 
So it, things like that. And, it, and the Memorial Day ceremony was being run by the local GAR post or the GAR department. Things like that where the GAR, it wasn't just... It, it, it wasn't just, hey, okay, it's a bunch of veterans. No, these these men carried weight. They they said something and people listened. Also, you have members of the GAR who are prominent in other organizations, not just politics. For instance, the Freemasons. Uh, you have oh, okay. You, you a lot of the a lot and and the Odd Fellows. A lot of the ceremonies and ins and outs of our ritual book are actually pulled from the Masons. We have a lot of brothers who are members of the Masons and, and they sit there and say, yeah, it's, it's very, a lot of the stuff you can say, oh yeah, that's, that's pulled from here in, in the Masons ritual and ceremonies. You also have members like <clears throat> Ambrose Burnside, who many of us know was the army, the commander of the army of the Potomac at the battle of Fredericksburg commanded the, had a bridge named after him, right? Something had like a bridge that. named after him at Antietam, but he also has a park named after him in Rhode Island. Cause he was from Rhode Island. Right. Um, right. He was the first grand commander of the department of Rhode Island. He was also the first president of the NRA. So things like that, where, you have these other organizations where prominent civil war veterans were taking roles in. And it's just, it's awe inspiring to see how, how many things in their everyday life that these men touched. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems that, you know, whether it was politics or, or um, whether they were in the Masons or the NRA, uh, they're really, you know, there it shows that there was life after the war, if that Correct. makes sense. Correct. Um, and and that's what we're seeing. And not only was there life after the Civil War, but the veterans got together and they ensured that there would be life after the war for all veterans, uh, by providing help for you know fellow veterans as well as the widows and and orphans. So it's you know that's really commendable on their part. And and not just not just Civil War veterans. They those that were alive during um, Span Am and World War One. You saw them the the GAR guys step up for them as well and make sure that they were taken care of as well. And and not only that, but I we've all seen the pictures. There's one picture that that comes to mind in general where it's a um, it's a member of the GAR, a Span Am vet a World War One vet, and I don't know the date of the photo, so I don't know if it's a World War II vet or soldier, but the four of them are standing there together. And it just goes to show that these men, they cared about all veterans. They sat there and said, you signed on the dotted line, you signed that blank check, just like they did we're going to make sure you're taken care of we're going to make sure we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that you are okay when you get home and you're okay when you're overseas and your family is okay they did everything in their power that they could to to make sure that this happened and to go with that is being able to understand each other 
right? Even though the wars with the technology was vastly different, that individual experiment, uh, experience, that human experience, I'm sure even the Civil War vet could relate to the World War I vet um, of being under fire and that experience of signing on the dotted line and, and, and having to serve in, um, in you, know, you know, horrible conditions uh, for something that you believe in. I would love. I think I'm definitely gonna get that picture. I'd like to get a. If if you have that picture, I definitely want to uh, see that one. Yeah, uh, all I'll, the veterans together. Yeah, I'll will find it. Um, and and I'm assuming it's a it's a family, just because of or 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 four gentlemen that are very close knit. Right. Uh, just because of of the the stuff because it's only four. It's the four of them. It's not a group. It's it's the four of them. So I'll 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 definitely search and I'll I'll find that one for you. But it's 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 awe inspiring to see that absolutely that absolutely not only just the Civil War vets but the Span Am War vets. They said, hey, we're gonna follow the Civil War vets' lead and we're gonna make sure that these boys aren't forgotten when they come home, and so on and so forth. So, and and that's why you see things like the American Legion and the VFW and and things of that and groups of that nature come to fruition because of the GAR. They, they all, all can tie their roots to say, hey, whether it be this, this GAR vet helped me out or I was inspired by what they did. Fantastic. And of course, uh, the GAR goes on to become the sons of, uh, sons of uh, Union veterans of the Civil War which is going to be in our uh, next episode. Yep. Um, and, and who are we having to talk about that, the, the transition from um, the GAR to the Sons of Union Veterans of the Civil War? So the transition from the GAR to the SUVCW is going to be, uh, you're going to be speaking with Brother Bob Waltz, who has done years of research on the matter. And he, he actually is old enough to know and spoke with GAR members. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's definitely going to be a treat for you. It's definitely going to be a treat for your listeners. You're getting someone that lived through that transition period. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Um, But on that note, I, I think we're reaching about that time so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for answering my questions in, in such detail. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, so I hope you have a good night and uh, I'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. Okay? Awesome. Definitely. We're looking forward to it. Maybe we can, maybe we can do this again. Yeah, that would be amazing. All right. You have a good night. Thank you so much. You too, Paul. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. What you didn't get to hear is that after the interview, I spoke with Benjamin and his father, Bruce, for another hour. They are real, great, and honest people who have a true passion for the Civil War and their organization's mission of ensuring that our veterans are not forgotten. We have two more episodes coming up where we will discuss further in depth how the GAR transformed into the SUVCW and what the SUVCW does today. But of course, if you cannot wait that long, I will leave a link in the description to the SUVCW's website. 
There, you'll be able to find out how to join or even how to support these great people with a great mission. As always, I want to thank Craig Duncan for allowing me to use his music on my podcast. And if you haven't already, please follow the podcast on Instagram and subscribe to the podcast itself in order to get access to new episodes right when they come out. So stay safe, my listeners, and I hope you tune in next time.